Hello, Worcester and the world. Josh Croak here, your host of Public Hearing, a podcast and radio show about Worcester, MA, and listening to the people who live, work, and experience challenges related to systemic and structural oppression here. Um, on Public Hearing, we engage community members addressing social problems in a way that centers equity, justice, and the pursuit of joy-filled futures for everyone. We're continuing our conversations about the approximate $146 million in funding the city of Worcester is receiving from the American Rescue Plan Act, also known as ARPA. In our last two episodes, you heard from Gina Platanino in our intro episode, where we talked about some of the logistical details surrounding ARPA, including the formation of some ad hoc committees the city manager is appointing that will guide decisions on how some, not all, of this money will be spent. One of those areas is arts and culture. And so we're talking with Jen Gaskin, president of the Worcester Caribbean American Carnival Association, who organizes the incredible Worcester Caribbean Festival to talk arts, culture, community, and what we as community members might consider advocating for as these funds are distributed. This is the Public Hearing Podcast. We had Jen Gaskin on the show back in March of 2021 to talk about building community wealth, and I'm happy to have Jen back with us today to talk about her work in our community's arts and culture sector and some considerations for how we truly center the priorities for ARPA funding, uh, which is focused on supporting folks most disproportionately impacted by the pandemic, specifically low-income communities and communities of color. Welcome back, Jen. Hello, hello. I'm glad to be back. It's great to have you back. Before we dive in, I want to invite you to share any affiliations, experiences, or any part of your social location that you'd like to bring into this space today for our listeners. Certainly. So as you stated, my name is Jennifer Gaskin. Um, I consider myself a Black Caribbean-American person. Um, I am married. I have three children. Um, and really, my children are the reason that, you know, I embarked on the project of developing the Caribbean American Carnival here in Worcester. Um, my two younger children were born here in Worcester. Um, and really, you know, when they started to get into their school communities, I realized that they didn't really have a connection to their culture. You know, like my daughter in kindergarten talking about going on school, you know, school break or whatever, and she's traveling to Trinidad and people are like, what is Trinidad, you know? And so I wanted to be able to give them something that they could then say, you know, this is who I am and this is who I come from and this is where I come from and this is my culture. Um, And as we began to really, you know, get involved in the community of Worcester, um, we saw that there actually is, you know, a Caribbean community out here. Um, Primarily, I would say, you know, Jamaican, Trinidadian. Um, there's a number of St. Lucian families um, locally, as well, you know, as well as you know, obviously other other islands. But there was no real central way that we could come together and and unite as a community and be able to share our culture and and become part of the fabric of Worcester. So that was really where that came from. And for listeners who have not been the. Caribbean Festival is amazing in Worcester. <laughs> and how many years has it been going on now? Um, so absent the uh, the the COVID year, um, eight years. So this year, uh, cross our fingers that we don't get back into some spike or something. We'll be, you know, year nine. Um, last year, we did kind of a smaller, um, you know, production just to get the community out and kind of, you know, get a little bit of the festivities back going. But hopefully this year we'll be doing a full scale um, event, which, um, 
includes a, a procession um, from City Hall down to Institute Park. And then at Institute Park, we have vendors, you know, all types of different food, artisans, different things. And we have like usually like a concert of some sort um, with an artist and some DJs and, and just, you know, a really nice family day um, to bring out your family, get to see the colors and the music and smell the food. Um, and like you said, it's just it's just really, you know, an enjoyable day that we get to connect as a community, as, as the Caribbean community, and then connect to our broader, you know, community of Worcester. And frankly, we get, you know, a lot of people from, you know, surrounding, you know, Boston, Providence, Hartford, Springfield, et cetera. So it's, it's a good way to not only showcase Worcester and our culture, but also, you know, connecting to the broader community. And one of the priorities in or one of the earmarks that money can be used for in ARPA is like cultural and tourism based like events mm-hmm. and I want to talk a little bit about the the realities of organizing as well, knowing the complexity of organizing festivals having been involved in a handful of festival organizing myself it there are so many hurdles and barriers that cities can put up or remove for folks in community to be able to build these spaces um, to celebrate culture. And so I want to talk with you a little bit about what are some of your experiences related to, you know, forming and garnering support from capital C city, as well as like the broader community and bringing the Caribbean festival here. To be honest, um, you know, despite us being here um, in the Worcester community for, from several years now, um, it's always been a challenge Um, from the very first year, you know, all the way through, it's been a challenge. Um, You know, we're not like, for example, the, the St. Patrick's day festival where there's a lot of collateral, Um, that can be put into that. Businesses participate, political candidates participate, et cetera. Um, You know, we don't get that kind of support from from the community. Um, And and not necessarily because they they don't want to, right? Like we we have, you know, local uh, Caribbean and and African and et cetera um, businesses, but really, you know, they're working to, to, to get their bottom line, to keep their doors open. So the ability to be able to, you know, provide significant support or sponsorship to, you know, an organization is really, you know, out of their reach. Whereas, again, a different demographic has more collateral, can, you know, support their events more so. Um, also things like, you know, going to local um, banks or institutions, you know, they don't really necessarily recognize us as, arts and culture, right? They think, okay, you know, they play loud music and dance in the street and they don't connect the the arts and the culture piece about it. Um, you'd be surprised at how many times I have to explain to people, like, this is not like, nobody goes to like Target and buys a costume, right? Like this is months of, you know, design, hand put together, assembled, Etc. So it's not, you know, I get inquiries all the time where they're like, we're having this event. It would be great if you could come with your, your carnival. And it's like, doesn't work like that. Right. Like there's, there's just, you know, even though we've been out here for so long, there's just not a, a, a conscious effort in the community to understand um, and support. Um, when we talk about the city, um, you know, again, lots of challenges there. Um, and, you know, it goes back to how 
how the city is organized and and how the city um you know sees itself right so if you look, go on um the city of Worcester website there's a special events handbook and it it teaches you how to or, or walks you through the steps that you need to take to organize a large scale event in in the city of Worcester what it doesn't tell you is it doesn't tell you, um, for example, if you want to do something in the park, you have to fill out an application to the park. Um, the park commission gets to approve or deny you, right? So you have to go up in front of the committee, present your idea. They get to ask you questions and say, yes or no, we're going to approve your permit. Um, on top of that, the the parks, um, parks and Recs Department, um, you know, decides how many how many uh, employees you need on that day, right? So now you're paying for employees, you're paying for renting the park, um, then you're paying for trash pickup. Um, in most cases, especially around the city of Worcester, you're going to have to get portable toilets, which also have to be permitted and um, put through the um, inspectional services. Um, inspectional services has... Um, a cost. So if you, so for our event, we have food vendors. So food vendors have to get food permits, right? So food permits, they have a program where if you are a nonprofit that you're able to get bundled food permits and it's a lesser cost. If not, you have to pay per permit. Um, we are a registered 501c3. However, it's at the discretion of the city whether or not they're going to give you that, that bulk cost. So for the for the 8 years that we've been doing it, we pay out of, you know, for each vendor $55. Um we pay for um police details, right? So and again, that's something that you have to go in, apply for, they can approve or deny you, um and then they get to say this is how 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 much of the police force you need to get Put, have out there and you're required to pay for that. Um, if you're utilizing um, spaces where you're going to be blocking meters, you have to pay for the meters. Um, so as you can see, the numbers are just adding up. I mean, we usually have a significant number of uh, food vendors that use fire. So now we have to also pay for fire permits. Right. And then if you're over a certain threshold and they decide, oh, you need a fire detail. So as you can see, those numbers just keep keep adding up. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we can be, you know, outside of any other expenses, just paying the city, you know, fifteen thousand dollars to do an event. And so the there's complexity there and there's also so much discretion exactly that yes. the city has yep. to really arbitrarily or I'm sure that there are you know biases and histories it, that correct. play into correct. how these decisions are made that limit people's ability uh, to to put these things on or make it even more of a mon monumental leap to make these things happen right so like if you're if you're just trying to start out and you're you know you want to do a festival for your community or, or whatever you're you're representing or, or want to do you know just get you know downloading a, a 20 page handbook you know that's already you know and understanding that okay you need to be at this meeting and then you have meetings that are held at one o'clock in the afternoon I mean I don't know about anybody else but I have a job right so again you're you're limiting certain people's ability to even get through the process 
Right. And I want to hit on a little bit, and in some ways this is a leading question, but I think it's important for people to be regularly reminded of the importance arts and culture play in our communities. Mm-hmm. And you were you talking about this a little bit. So maybe instead of asking like the why, I'll ask how do you feel arts and culture has an impact on our communities and the role that it plays in like healing, celebration, uh, and advocacy. I mean, even, you know, last year um, we did like a, a jamboree. We just did basically a block party in downtown downtown Worcester. And people were just so excited just to be outside and see each other and be in some kind of environment where it was a positive environment. Um, and, you know, there were people that have, were out there for the first time. There were people who have come, you know, years before, but it was that reconnection with your, with your community um, that was important. And, you know, Anytime that we're, you know, as an organization presenting the carnival, we're presenting it as an opportunity to educate, right? And I feel like as we educate each other about our differences in our culture, then we start to see, you know, how we're connected, right? Um, you know, we have uh, Vanessa Yoga who participates every year. Her organization is uh, Guardians of Tradition, um, and they are from the Dominican Republic. And we're always talking about the synergy, you know, across the Caribbean in our culture that we would never know existed unless we embarked on this journey journey together, right? We would never know that that existed. There's synergy between, you know, the Caribbean culture in New Orleans, Mardi Gras, Brazil, you know, same thing. So it's like everybody's coming out and saying, hey, I see myself in this. And then maybe, you know, when you go to school or you go to work or you go just out in the community, you're better able to relate to the next person because you can see that, you know what, we're not that different. You know, we share certain things or, you know, just, you know, my my kids or, or other people's children going out into the community and being able to say, hey, this is who I am. And people could say, oh, I know, I know about that. I know who you are, you know, and and being more just accept, accepting of one another because we're learning about one another and, and, you know, embracing one another's culture because ultimately that's, you know, that's what the city is. Like, it's all these different people here living and, you know, exploring and, and interacting so we should know more about each other and we should understand each other. And I feel like arts and culture is one of the ways that, you know, we can share with one another and it's not in a in-your-face type of way. It's a more comfortable way where we can see, okay, we're the same. And communities that like celebrate and embrace the diversity of their their communities, in our case, the city of Worcester, are when done correctly, are thriving, innovative, agile, resilient spaces. You know, when I think, when I talk about um, the Caribbean carnival, the largest um, Caribbean carnival in in North America is in Toronto. And Toronto is a hugely diverse um, city. When they present Carabana annually, they bring 2 million visitors to the city. And the whole city is like alive and, you know, everybody's out and everybody's enjoying and everybody's, you know, participating in this, you know, thing that's become like a fabric of of the city. And because of that, the city supports it 
And the city embraces it because not only does it bring people to the city, it also helps to, like you were talking about earlier, heal, you know, because you can stand next to that person that, you know, maybe there was something going on. And, you know, now we can stand next to each other in a festive environment. Absolutely. And the money that is, comes in as well, mm-hmm. you know, all, the city's obviously going to talk about bottom line and economy. And, of course. And so the Mass Cultural Council actually surveyed artists and cultural organizations five times like throughout the pandemic to understand the economic impacts on the like arts and culture sector. And so they say that we know COVID-related closures and cancellations were devastating to artists and cultural organizations between March 2020 and February 2021. They reported more than $600 million in lost revenue and personal income, and that more than 30,000 sector jobs were impacted statewide. And then they continue to talk about like the percentage of like our, you know, state's GDP, like our, mm-hmm. our gross domestic product, yeah. what money we're bringing in due to the arts and cultural organizations. And so in the most recent budget that I've seen for the city's ARPA priorities, there is a $4.5 million allocation for creative economy. And so how how would you talk about you know the creative economy and what are what would be some of your hopes for this money that we're receiving for our creative economy and for our arts and culture sector? Uh, what are some of the hopes that you see that money go toward? I would hope that they would invest more in kind of um, how would I put it the infrastructure, right? Like supporting organizations and supporting spaces that welcome arts and culture. Um, you know, one of the things that I noticed right away when I moved to Worcester is there's, there's not a lot of spaces to go, like as a cultural organization or as an arts, you know, person. If you're if you're um, an artist, where do you go to display your work? You know, if as as a cultural organization who wants to push forward the dialogue and education, where do I go to present? You know, anything. You know, if I want to do panel discussions or if I want to do displays of work, if I want to do workshops in the community, where do I go to do that? I mean, I know we have um, JMAC, but again, that's that's a city-run entity with with rules and stipulations, and it doesn't really give flexibility to, to organizations. Like, you know, as a cultural organization, what about having a a center that we can allow people to come to for for resources and education and and support and help them to integrate into the city? And we don't have access to space. And I think a a present point that comes forward for me there is, yes, more diversity of space. Mm -hmm. And also, how do how does the city support communicating with its residents what right. things exist and like right. where to go? Right. This is like the sprinkler factory, exactly. Arts Worcester, exactly. right? And then also holding our organizations and our institutions accountable to the barriers that have been in place, you know, historically and present day that limit the ability for certain folks in our community to go into those spaces exactly. and feel accepted and feel represented exactly. in those spaces. Exactly. Because it's, you know, if if you're a person who, you know, yeah, you know, maybe I want to go out and look at some artwork, right? But do I feel comfortable going into, you know, Arts Worcester? You know, does do people look like me? Are the artists being presented representative representative of my community, whatever that may be, you know? And, and are we encouraging our um, youth 
to be involved in arts and culture? Are we are we putting forth infrastructure for them to be, you know, involved? I do think, obviously, you know, there is a place to, you know, give grants for, for events and activities and things like that. But the actual supporting infrastructure for the diverse arts and culture community is really, in my mind, what we need. You know, if, if I'm an artist and I'm at, you know, South High or, or we're at one of the high schools or whatever, like, how do I take my art when I leave school and become, you know, an artist professionally. Give us, you know, show them, you know, business, you know, how do cultural, you know, arts business, like how do they develop that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, there are organizations and institutions that are doing, doing equity it. work. Yeah, who are, like who doing are, it, but it, let's bubble it up. Right. And if the city has the opportunity with this funding, let's let's bubble that up so that people know that it's there and and we're able to support the community as a whole. So there's also a a $10 million line item for what's quoted as community determined priorities, in addition to around twenty six million dollars of unbudgeted funds. Related to this conversation, how do you hope the city and these ad hoc committees being formed by the city manager engage the community to best determine these priorities in an accessible and an equitable way? And I think, you know, we're out here, we're doing the work. Like, it's not that hard to figure out who's out here doing the work. You know, are we creating more barriers by having committees and creating processes for people to get access to the funding? You know, should the city be going out and, and looking and finding? Should it should it be the organizations going to them or should the city be going out there and finding it? Because there are, or like you said, there are people out here doing the work. I think you raised like an incredible point and something that we've talked about on the show a lot is it's one thing and yes, should this always be an invitation for people to come in and, you know, have access to folks at City Hall to ask these questions? Yes. But should it not be as much of, if not more of a priority for people sitting in these to get structures into the to get into the community? Right. Because that's what they're there for. Like the city councilors are elected by us. You know, people, the city manager is appointed by the city council. Like, you guys are representations of your community. You should be in your community. The example that I usually give people is um, Mayor Thomas Menino in Boston. Like, we, everybody knew who Mayor Menino was. Everybody knew who he was. Even the kids in school knew who Mayor Menino was. Why? Because he was everywhere. He was everywhere. If violence happened, he showed up. He wasn't. He didn't have fear to go to anybody's community, to anything. He was everywhere in the community, and everybody knew him, and he was willing to talk to anybody. Whether you were a two-year-old and you wanted to shake his hand, or you were an 85-year-old that wanted to complain about like trash pickup or whatever. like He was always there and out in the community, and that's why the community supported him. You know, for example, with the Caribbean um, Carnival in Boston, you know, they've struggled with with violence over the years. And there was been many times where they've said, oh, we don't want to have this event because, you know, it, it causes, you know, X, Y and Z, which that's a whole other conversation. But, 
you know, there was a time when they, you know, where the community was saying, no, we don't want this. And Mayor Menino went to the community. He went to the, to the carnival committee and said, how do I support you? How do I help you make this a success and a safe event? So, you know, it's about getting out there and, and serving your constituents, right? It's frankly, it's our tax dollars that are paying for everybody to be in that building and for the lights to be on in that building and for the water to flow in that building. So we should be getting something out of it. And we shouldn't have to go and beat on the door to get a response. We, you know, and, and people think, you know, everybody has a computer. Everybody knows how to get, everybody doesn't know how to do that. Everybody doesn't have access to a computer. Everybody's reading level isn't such that they can sit and leaf through the, the special events handbook and figure it out or go through a grants application and be able to access ARPA funds. That's, that's not true. So the city needs to think about how do we meet the people where they are? How do we truly understand what the needs of the community is, whether it's arts and culture, what, you know, whatever demographic or, or topic that they're on, how do we meet the community where they are and bring them forward? Otherwise, you know, all these different things that we see happening around the commu- in, in the city you know, people talk about Polar Park and, you know, the, the homeless people under the bridge. Like, what a, what a uh, uh, you know, diverse thing. You're literally at Polar Park and then drive two seconds down the road and there's, you know, homeless people under a bridge. And making people invisible is not solving a problem. Right, right. You don't right. put spikes out, you know, wherever that was where they threw spikes out so people wouldn't sleep. Right, on the park benches right, right, and right. things so people that's wouldn't not, sleep there. That's exactly. not what you do. You, you figure out what the problem is and you try to resolve it. I don't think that, you know, as a city, we can't, of course, we can have nice things. We can have Polar Park, but you don't have Polar Park at the expense of the broader community. We, of course, we should have development. We should, you know, improve how the city looks and the accessibility of the city and the things that the city has, but you don't do that at the expense of the community that's already there. You figure out how to bring them along in it. Exactly. And like enable growth for exactly. the people who live here in these spaces before prioritizing how do we bring in new dollars and new people that exactly. will displace our community. Exactly. A- absolutely. And so we are actually close to time. Um, <laughs> and it's always so great to, you and to I chat could with just you. just talk for hours. <laughs> That's right. We absolutely could. And so in wrapping up, I just want to like thank you for for being here. If you had one question that you would ask the Capital C City, the city manager, as it relates to ARPA and funding priorities for arts and culture in our creative economy, what might that be? I think I would say, are you really, my question would be, are you really committed to change? Fantastic. Are you really committed to change? And I think that that even goes beyond the opera funding. That goes to, to everything that they're doing. Are you really committed to change? Thank you, Jen. Thank you, listeners, for listening to Public Hearing, our podcast and radio show that airs Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on WICN 90.5 FM, Worcester's only NPR affiliate station, and can be heard wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Joshua Croak, and we... 
put this show together to celebrate community and bring folks into conversations about equitable, just, and joy-centered development and growth here in Worcester, very much about embracing change and looking at how we as a community foster change together. If you're listening and want to support the show, point your friends to publichearing.co, share it on Facebook, add it to your link tree on Instagram, make a TikTok, whatever the cool thing (laughs) is to do these days. Our audio producer is Juliana Durazio, who also made our show music. Also, thanks to Molly Gammon and Kelly Kajurek, who also support the production of this show. The work continues, Worcester, and as always, thanks for listening. Thank you.